Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Freddie and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference today. Um, Gayatri, can you start our first question, please? Sure. Bharti? Um, yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, hi. Um, so my question is, uh, my H1 was picked last year, but it got approved this year. Um, the st- started is March 2022. So Uh, it already bypassed that October 1st date. And uh, basically I want to apply for an H1 transfer for a new opportunity that I've received. Um, So I have not informed my current employer about this. So um, I want to check that uh, like in my contract letter that they had mentioned that I would be serving a four week notice period, um, but I would be able to only serve two week notice period. So my question is, can the current employer take any legal action once my transfer is approved or can he um, do anything once the transfer is approved? I mean, or should I be informing? It depends more on kind of the employment laws in your state and whether your employer is really inclined to kind of, you know, try to enforce that contract for a one week difference in the notice period. Um, Immigration-wise, there's not really any problem. You know, your H-1B status won't be affected as long as the, you know, transfer has been filed, you're authorized to start with a new company. Um, So there isn't anything, you know, regarding your status that would be affected. Um, It's just a matter of how much your company, your current company is going to really want to, you know, pursue you for the difference in the one week. At most, they can it kind of depends on the employment contract, whether it included any penalties for not serving the full notice period. Um, So it would be more of an employment law question, which does depend on sort of the laws in your state and the particular contract. So um, if you are concerned about that, I would probably consult an employment law attorney in your local to you. Okay. And um, based upon like the uh, H1, the transfer wouldn't be impacted, right? I mean, no matter whatever... uh, and even when I go for stamping as well, uh, no impact on that as well. Like, Yeah, that's fine. Because even if your current employer withdraws the H-1B, if you have already moved over to the new company and are working there, then it won't impact the um, your status or the visa stamp. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for answering. Sure. Next question. Abhi? Hello. Uh, my... My question is, I used to work at company A. They filed my EB2, uh, I-140, but then the EB3 became current in October 2020. So they filed the downgrade Mm -hmm. petition. 
-hmm. it got approved. I have an EAD, uh, I-140 approved as well. Then I changed my company. Now I work at company B, uh, but company B just started recruitment, but now my EV2 date is current. So I worry I'll miss my window if I stay here. So I'm thinking of going back to company A. My question is, uh, can I work at both companies for a few months while my green card is approved at the same time? Have you been maintaining H-1B status so far? No. Or did you start using no, EAD? I've, yeah, I started using EAD at company B. My plan is to go to company A, file 485J in EB2, and mm -hmm. stay there until I get my green card or hit the 180-day window. But I don't mm -hmm. want to leave the company B. Can I do that in parallel? Yes, technically that should be fine. Um, the main thing that you'll need in order for company A to be able to interfile to EB2 is um, there has to always have been the continuity of the job offer from them in order to submit the J supplement to interfile for EB3 to EB2. But as long as they are willing to state that there was always the continuity of the job offer on their side, even though you left for another company for a brief period of time, um, they can still file the interfile for you. And yeah, using the EAD, you can continue working for both companies. Got it. So if the company cannot prove that they had the continuity for this, so it's been one year since I left the previous company, but they just gave me a new offer. So I can join them now if I want. So if they can't prove the continuity for one year, do they have to file it afresh all over? Potentially, if the company is not willing to say that the job offer was always there, technically they would need to, you would basically need to file uh, a new I-485 based on the EB-2. Um, so far though, in similar situations, we haven't seen, even though that continuity of the job offer language is on USCIS's website um, as one of the requirements to transfer the underlying basis, we really haven't seen USCIS dig into it that much in situations similar to yours where you've moved to another company in between. Um, but USCIS could potentially ask about it. So it just depends on whether the company, what the company is willing to state. Do you know if they ever withdrew any of the I-140s? No, both are still okay. valid. Okay, that's, you know, helpful then in case it is ever asked about. They can, you know, provide a statement that even though, you know, temporarily he left our employment, on our side, the job offer was always there, which is why we kept the I-140s valid, both of them. Got it. Okay, uh, just finally to confirm, uh, if I go back to company A, I can keep working at company B, no problem. It's legally allowed, although there's one yes, ATD window, I know. So I have to be on EAD on both companies, right? Uh, yes, pretty much. Got it. Okay, thank you. Sure. Next question. Ishwar. Ishwar. Sorry, if you're muted, if you're trying to... Ravi? Uh, hi, Rebecca. Um, Hello. Thank you for... Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, I can. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my situation is, right, so I did a downgrade in 2020 for EB3, EB2 to EB3, and um, that is still active. 
and I have refiled in EB2 when I became current in December 2021. So I have two applications now. Okay, mm -hmm. both of them. Recently, my status on EB2s, mine and my spouse's, changed to case remains pending. And I received a letter, received letters today from Denver field office saying visa number is not available. And it says the category is E37 and E39. It's not in E2. So, okay. So, was that correspondence from the Denver field office? Did they cite to your EB3 receipt notice for the I 485? Does it, it doesn't say, it just has the alien number. But EB3 status doesn't change anything. It, I didn't see any change in my EB3 case status. Mm -hmm. It just says a juris, different office has jurisdiction and that was updated back, back in January. No updates on that okay. one yet. So, okay. Yeah, um, the case statuses have been pretty confusing recently, partly because USCIS, uh, and they addressed it on their FAQ website that sometimes a message is appearing. I know that you got this as a, correspondence from the field office, but um, something similar has been appearing on the case status website for some people that when they move to interfile to EB2, which is not exactly your situation, but um, you do also have an EB2 um, application. So um, on the case status website, it's been showing for them that your work has been paused on your case because a visa number isn't available. And UCIS did come out and say that that is not entirely accurate. Um, that's just the default message that it, the system goes to because they can't, they don't have something in the system to show that your case has basically been moved to EB2 successfully. Um, so my guess is that it's similar in your situation. Um, if that notice from the field office was regarding your EB3, then I mean, technically it's correct. I guess your party date is not current in EB3, right? Only in EB2? Yes, it's only EB2. Okay. Yeah. Um, and since it was filed early enough, um, you know, before June 2022, it is in the group of cases that USCIS is targeting to be approved. So my guess is maybe they are kind of trying to match up the files based on the A number and just kind of move them together and then just process the EB2 and approve it um, since it's eligible um, and then close the EB3. Um, that would be my guess, but I don't think there's anything that you on your side need to do right now. Yeah, because it says from field office, we are transferring into National Benefit Center. And it says clearly says that due to non-availability of visa, we cannot make a final decision is what it is. So when they say we cannot make a final decision, is that mean, does it mean that almost everything is done due to visa number, they cannot allot me anything or what, what, what can be? That's usually what that? that means. And so for the EB3, that is accurate, at least if they're referring to your EB3 file. Yeah, because the date, which date on the letter is the same date when my case went into pending for EB2. The letter's date states the same. Yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me actually if, they, trans they potentially transferred the wrong file to the field office, and maybe that's why it's being moved back to the National Benefit Center, because the National Benefit Center sometimes distributes cases to the local field offices for faster processing. Um, because you have two I-485 files, they may have accidentally sent your EB-3 file to the field office, 
and they realized when it got there that the priority date isn't current for that one. It's being sent back to the National Benefit Center and then maybe they are taking action now on your EB2 case, which is why there was a case status update. So I, I, I filed both of them with RN Law Group. Is there anything which we can do from the attorney side to sending anything to USCIS for consideration? I don't think so right now. If there's no RFE, there isn't really anything that we can send in. Um, I think we just need to wait and um, so hopefully I'm just the EB2. Afraid. Yeah, I'm just afraid that if they consider EB3 and if it doesn't get current, I might miss the boat for September 2020. So your EB3 application cannot be approved right now because it's the priority date is not current. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But the status on EB2 is the one which got changed, right? So that's, that is the thing. Yes, but it changed to there. your cases pending, which it is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Case yeah, so, pending. yeah, to me, it sounds like the case status is on your two applications are accurate as of now. So I don't think there's anything further that we can do right now. Um, oh. Yeah, I think they'll just process the EV2 since that's the only one that's eligible to be adjudicated right now. Okay, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Siddha Venkat. Hi, hi, Rebecca. Uh, I have... Um, uh, EB2 perm approved um, last year, June 2021, and we filed EB3 uh, I-140 at that point because EB3 was moving faster, and mm -hmm. it, it was it was approved in July 2021, and now my priority date is current in May 2022. So we applied adjustment of status concurrently with EB2 I-140, and. Mm -hmm. um, 485. We got receipts in June 2022 and we upgraded uh, I-140 premium processing um, four, four to five days back. And there is no update until now on acknowledging or receipting that uh, 485 or accepting that for uh, accepting that I-140, not 485, accepting that uh, I-140 premium processing upgrade. Uh, do you know like how many days uh, they will take to upgrade the premium processing uh, request. It was delivered for five days back. Um, and you or your or your company or your attorney haven't gotten the email confirmation. Uh, there is no the there email. is no email. Yeah, there is no email okay. also from the com, uh, USCIS. Yeah, the premium processing um, receipts are usually somewhat faster than the regular processing because they are supposed to send an email confirmation of the receipt. Um, I would maybe have your company double check if it was sent to the correct address because there are two separate addresses that a premium processing um, for I-140 can be sent to. Make sure it was sent to the right address. Um, another yeah, way you was, can check. It yeah, it was sent to Nebraska and my case is with Nebraska Center, Lincoln office. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I verified that it was proper. Um, and I mean, is there any chance of uh, um, uh, rejecting the application because of expired perm? Um, or, no, there uh, shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, right? Uh, so no, we've been getting premium upgrades for I-140 downgrades um, accepted almost. Yeah, this know, is upgrade, right? I mean, the perm is in EB2. We had I-140 in EB3. Oh, now that shouldn't make a difference to the okay. premium upgrade. Um, oh, another okay. way you can try to check into it is to see if the filing fee check that was sent has been cashed yet. If it has oh. been cashed, then that means it's accepted. 
and for whatever reason, they're just taking longer than normal to send the receipt notice. If it has not yet been cashed, then something may have, it may, you may want to check into it and see um, what happened. Yeah. So normally how many days the email within how many days the email within two business days, typically in Uh our experience. Okay, got it, got it. I have one more question. I applied H1 uh, a month back, H1 and H4, and I got a receipt for H4, but uh, it crossed one month. I did not got a receipt for H1. Is it a normal? Yeah, for, yeah actually for H1B receipt notices, um, they have been taking longer than normal. Um, oh. Even if it's in premium process, well, premium processing, they're supposed to send the email receipt. That is a normal processing? Okay, Normal. yeah. Regular processing um, receipt notices, we have been noticing delays of um, sometimes it's taking a month or so um, uh, or more. I got, I got for it, H4. I got for H4. Yeah. I did not got for H4. Um, if the H4 was accepted, then the H1B is definitely accepted also because they wouldn't have um, accepted the H4 unless the H1B was also properly filed. Um, so it should be accepted, but yeah, for whatever reason, we've been noticing the same receipt notices are sometimes taking longer. Oh, it, it already crossed months. one month. It already crossed one month. So is there anything my attorney can check with USCIS? Or... They can check the filing fee check also in their bank details to see if it was okay. cashed. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Next question. Ishwar. Ishwar? Sorry, we can't hear you. Um, Gayatri, can you make sure he's can unmute himself? I have unmuted him. Ishwar. I think his okay. mic is not connected. Srimukha? Okay. Yeah, hi. Um, thanks, Rebecca. Uh, currently, I'm in like uh, OPT and I applied for a STEM OPT. Um, I got RFE actually. Um, so my question is, uh, my OPT expires on um, July 11th. Can I work after July 11th, uh, even though I got received, does it work same as H1 or should I not work after July 11th? Um, and you filed the I-765? Yeah, I, I submitted everything and I got uh, RFE for that, STEM OPT. Oh, you got an RFE. Have you responded to the RFE? I have not responded. I got two days back only the RFE. So I'm going to respond to that. So my question is, can I work after July 11th, even though my RFE is still like in pending or should I not? I believe so. Um, I believe the OPT EAD is one that if you have filed for the renewal on time, you can continue working, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, What you can do is um, if you just Google... um, EAD auto extension, and then go to the USCIS webpage that comes up. It will have a list of the exact categories, um, like C26, C9, A12, that sort of thing. And um, double check which code yours is for the STEM OPT and see if it is on that list. If it's on that list, then you can continue working even while the renewal is pending. Okay. And one more thing, I applied online. So I have an option to submit everything online. Can I do by myself or do I need to reach any attorney to submit this RFE? Um, If the RFE is pretty straightforward, if they're just asking for additional documents that you have, um, you can submit it yourself. Um, 
is it asking for something? Basically, they yeah. are asking, like uh, they said, I use more than 90 days of unemployment, which I did not. I'm not sure where they calculated it wrong. Even I checked with my DSO, they said you, you did not use those many days. And they asked like employee, employee relationship, employment history, and service mm. number of days I used, all the pay stubs, everything they asked. Okay. Um, it's kind of up to you. If you feel like you have all the documents and can, you know, um, explain clearly the dates that you were employed and show that you didn't cross the 90 day mark um, of unemployment and that sort of thing, you can respond to it yourself. But that RFP does sound a bit more complicated than like just a missing document that they're asking for, since they're also asking about employer employee relationship and that sort of thing. Um, I might lean towards using an attorney um, for responding to the RFE just because if the I-765 renewal is denied, it becomes much more complicated to go back and, and fix it at that point. You basically have to file a motion to reopen, hope that they'll reopen it within 30 days. In the meantime, you wouldn't be authorized to work and your status is kind of at risk. Um, yeah. And I have one more question too. My husband has I-140. Do you suggest like, well, after responding to the RFE, can I directly um, apply for H4EAD? Would, would that be possible? Yeah, that is an option too, um, to apply for the h 4 I mean, that will still take quite a while if um, you're just applying for it as a change of status with the I-539 because that has a pretty long processing time still, um, at least four to six months. But um, yeah, that is a backup, at least in case for some reason something I can do parallelly, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that would be okay. fine. And, uh, and my husband has recently changed a job. They did Sorry, not I think we'll have to move on to someone else. Um, Thank you. Sorry. Sure, Rebecca. Alok? Alok? Hey, Rebecca, thank you for Hi. taking my call. Yeah, my question is on the birth certificate. Actually, I have submitted my 485 application and I don't have birth certificate. So I have taken two, you know, affidavit from India and I have requested my brother to get my birth certificate possible. Uh, my brother has submitted an application to the Department of Birth and Death in India and they have given him, they have replied him back on their proper letter head pad that the birth record of Alok Dubey is not available uh, in okay. their record. So do you think that certificate would be enough for USCIS to consider? Yeah, that should be fine. That's the kind of non-availability certificate that we refer to a lot. As long as it's issued by kind of the rev relevant um, government authority um, in India that would be able to issue that kind of determination, um, you can submit that plus two affidavits um, from people who are not your parents. We usually recommend that it's not your parents, but it can be family friends, aunts, uncles, anyone else who is old enough at the time that you were born to, you know, recall the details of your birth. So the non-availability certificate plus two affidavits should be fine. Um, if you want to, you can also submit other documents like secondary school or primary school certificates, um, documents that also maybe list your date of birth on them. Yeah, Rebecca, the only problem, like, you know, because my brother has submitted the application. So when they have replied back, they said to my brother and then, but in the description, everything is about me. So that should be fine, right? That's because fine. Yeah. 
Yes, that's fine. Okay, and one more thing, uh, Rabika, like my daughter's uh, birth certificate is, is in a different language, that is Hindi. So, you know, I took the services of a USCIS approved uh, translator and uh -huh. he did the translation for me and I have a test that uh, along with the petitions, that should be fine. That's fine, yeah. I don't need anything for that, right? No, they just need to sign a certificate that says that they're fluent in both languages. Okay, and one last question, Rabika. Does 485J receipt has some meaning? Some people say if you get it, it means uh, your case is in active. Does it have some meaning? It's pretty hard to tell right now. I mean, the J supplement receipt notice, all that means right now is that the USCIS received it. Beyond that, it's not really possible to tell what's going on with the case. Okay, thank you. Okay, sure. Next question. Divya? Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, so October 2020, I downgraded from EB2 to EB3 and I filed for 485 and I received my EAD and AP cards through that. And one year later, I changed my employer and the new employer has uh, applied for supplemental AOS portability, right? So the AOS portability is pending as well as my I-485, but and also I have maintained my H-1B status. So the question is now when I travel outside of the country, to re-enter, can I use the advanced parole card? And if I can, how does that affect my AOS portability and as also my H-1B status? Yeah, so if you use the um, advanced parole uh, to re-enter the U.S., at the time you re-enter, technically you won't be in H-1B status at that time anymore. Um, your Authorization to be in the U.S. will then be based on the pending I-485 application, and you'll need to use the EAD then for work authorization also. Um, it doesn't affect your portability. You can continue working for the new company, um, and then if you wanted to, you could transfer to another new company, and the I-485 can remain pending. Um, the only thing that might kind of affect the the I-485 by using the advanced parole is that it does sort of attach you a bit more to this EB-3 category potentially. Um, mm -hmm. It may make it a bit more difficult to move into EB-2 because then your only ability to move into EB-2 would be for your prior I-140 petitioner to interfile, to um, you know file the J supplement to interfile, which sometimes is a bit difficult when you have moved employers in between. Um, mm -hmm. Because so when you've moved employers, um, one other way to move into EB2 without interfiling is filing a whole new set of I-485s yeah. in the EB2 category. And in order to do that, you need to be in H-1B status. So um, okay. if you were considering moving into EB2, that's how that might affect that. But it won't mm -hmm. affect the I-485 being pending or your authorization to work for the new company. Okay, okay. Since I have the valid H-1B, right, let's say I use an AP card to enter, and now mm -hmm. at a later point of time, can I exit the country and get an H-1B stamping and then re-enter? Yeah. Would that H-1B be still valid? Yes, if the, as long as the company doesn't withdraw the H-1B approval. Right. Um, and actually, okay. I was going to mention, there's another potential way to get back into H-1B status that might not require traveling outside the U.S. So there is a rule that um, if at the time you're coming back in advanced parole, if the H-1B validity period has not expired yet when you're re-entering in advanced parole, um, your status when you re-enter, like I said, is still not H-1B. You're an AOS applicant. But if your 
H-1B employer were to file an extension application for you, that can kind of put you back into H-1B status right. um, without mm -hmm. you needing to leave the U.S. Um, okay. So that okay. if your employer is willing to file that, um, that may be another way to get back into H-1B if you need to. Okay. And would all of this be the same for the secondary applicant who has received EAD and AP through my application? Yes. Yeah. So um, actually, if since you are on H-1B, if you re-enter in advanced parole, that will, until you get back into H-1B status, that would also sort of nullify the H-4 and potentially H-4 EAD um, automatically. No, the, the, for the, okay, the spouse is H-1B. So would that nullify his H-1B as well? Oh, if he's in H-1B status independent of your H-1B, yeah, that won't affect their H-1B okay. status then, yeah. Okay, understood, okay. Thank you so much. Sure, next question. Srinivas? Hey, good afternoon, Rebecca. Uh, I downgraded my EB3 application, I mean, EB2 application in 2020 and then interfiled uh, to EB2. Now okay. I received a continuation notice was mailed on my I-485. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure exactly what that means for me and my spouse. Is it an RFE or uh, something else? We're not quite sure either. We have also been getting reports about continuation notices being sent, um, but we're, we haven't seen any of those for the I-485s that we've filed. Um, we haven't seen them too much um, being sent yet. So it includes the I-485 receipt notice, right, of the originally filed October 2020 application. And what is the notice saying? No, we haven't received it yet. It's more than three weeks, but still I'm waiting for one more week to raise a service request. So as of now, it's still, uh, we haven't received any letters to that or me or to me. Is it just the online case status then that says a yep, yep. continuation notice has been sent? Okay. Yes. Yeah, we are not really sure. Um, we also, I don't think we've seen any um, come through the mail. Like I said earlier, the case status website is a bit mysterious right now. We know that it's not always very accurate or that what it's saying doesn't always really mean some, you know, exactly what it is saying. So we're also not sure if the continuation notice is something internal that means a file was transferred somewhere or that an officer has taken action on the case recently, potentially, or that maybe it's been sent to a field office. Um, yeah, honestly, um, I am not sure right now. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I'll wait for the letter and then. It... Yeah, Thank definitely um, update us if you do find out more. Sure. Thank you. Um, I can take one more question, Gayatri. Sure. Rebecca, sorry, Mahesh? Yes. Hi. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, so Hi. basically, uh, I have a uh, I one forty with my previous employee, employee, uh, but uh, in June, like I got a uh, ability to file in the final action date. But I am with the current employer B. Employer B already filed my file filed for labor uh, in April. So my question is like, uh, can I file for concurrent H one B to make use of the final action date through employer A? Yes, that's fine. So you want to basically um, work in H-1B status for both employers and have both of them 
have be sponsoring your green card application sort of in parallel? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it may not really be necessary to, you know, depending, are both of them in EB2 with both companies? Yes. I mean, the company B also filed as a, like a labor in EB2, uh, okay. just recent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, like I was reading somewhere like you know the concurrent H1B only uh, like we cannot I cannot work full time like 40 hours is it a misinformation or like yeah that's not accurate um so concurrent employment it can be full-time for both companies um you know if you're able to do both jobs full-time then there's nothing wrong with that as far as the immigration rules as long as um on the concurrent application, they list that it's full-time, as long as it's accurate, um, you know, the hours that they are listing on the application, that's fine. They're, it doesn't need to be part-time. So basically, employer has, has to file as a concurrent and uh, mm -hmm. uh, then instead of H-1 transfer, right? Uh, yes, because your H-1B, your only H-1B right now is with employer B, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So employer A would file a concurrent application for you listing full-time employment. And uh, the, uh, the same thing, like uh, I don't have to inform like uh, employer B, right? About the, uh, the concurrent H1B. I should not be. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You're not required to inform either company about, um, about, well, employer A will need to know because you do need to make sure they mark it yeah. as concurrent on the yeah. form. So employer A will know, but employer B doesn't need to. Okay. So do you have to uh, take any further consultation on this matter or like uh, uh, the information is like, uh, it's good, right? Yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's fine. Yeah. If employer A is willing to, um, you know, file the concurrent application and have you um, rejoin. Um, yeah. There's no problem with that. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll need to end the conference here for today. And then our office is closed on Monday for the July 4th holiday, but we will um, resume the conference on Tuesday at 11.30 Central Time. Um, I believe it will be Ryan Wilk from our office who will be conducting the call that day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.